What is a smart city? Our civilization has reached a point where we can no longer think bigger. We now have to think smarter. All around the world, there are transformative cities doing incredible things, and it's time to sit up and listen. It's time to make a difference for ourselves and for our planet. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to a special episode of Smart City Diaries that we're going to be doing here for you. I know at this point, we're probably getting somewhat used to our traditional format, but today it's just going to be me and mom, and we are going to be talking about a uh, survey that we put out before we actually launched the podcast. Now, the purpose of the survey was for us, because we want this to be an interactive community style thing, right? Not just mom and I talking at people and at each other. So what we thought was we would go out to the people in our lives, our communities, and to try to get a handle on sort of what they thought about all of these issues. We felt like the survey was going to be an extremely important way to begin to engage with you, our audience. Like, what are you thinking about? What are the base? What do you think the baseline services that cities should be providing? What is a smart city? Is it what we think it is or or do you have different ideas about it or maybe you've never even heard about it? So we really wanted to engage with you, our audience, as we will continue to do throughout the series. And this is really a first attempt to reach out to family, friends and in a fairly small circle. This was definitely not a scientific sampling. The feedback that we got really led to identifying how we wanted to, to structure season one, which we'll talk about a little bit more later. Disclaimer. Halfway through this recording, I realized I hadn't even plugged in my headset or my microphone. So in advance, apologies for any um, uh, problems with the sound quality that you might hear. We decided we didn't want to record the whole thing over again, so we're going forward with it. And next time, I'll make sure I'm plugged in. And on the count of three, that's one, two, three. Okay, Boomer. (laughs) You got me. So who exactly responded to this survey? So again, we had 78 responses. It wasn't a, you know, like you said, it wasn't record-breaking. Small pool. We hope to improve upon these in the future because data, y'all know by now how important data is to me and effective data is really important. And Anna, who exactly answered our questions? So Gen Z showed up, which they tend to, and you guys tend to show up. So thank you and... Please come back. 47% of our respondents were Gen Z. Uh, 28% were millennials. And we only got 7% Gen X. So, y'all, you are, you, Gen X are like most managers and whatnot are Gen X right now. You guys are some of the biggest decision makers. I really, really hope you come join us as well. Yep. Um, and we had uh, 16% boomer and 1.3% pre-boomer, which shout out to you guys. Um just thanks for thanks for showing up. Right. Yeah, we had a lot of a lot of youthful representation, but we definitely we want this to be an intergenerational building experience. So we don't want this. We want these columns to even out. Is really would ideally be what happened. We want there to be all voices in, at least in the room. We are prioritizing progress one hundred percent. But the only way that you build the, the only way that you can build something better than what you already have is if you have all members of the community at least on some level engaged. Right, and and we definitely don't. It wasn't surprising to us that 51%, at least it wasn't surprising to me, of the respondents were female. Um, But we also had a a 
great a few non-binary and others who didn't want to st state exactly or the, it wasn't listed gender wasn't listed we want to engage all of you and thank you so much for for being honest about that race and ethnicity oh still 45 percent of us were white who responded um asian 21 percent black 20%. Um, so getting better, but we really want to improve upon this. Then finally, where did these, uh, where did our, our surveyors come from? Um, mostly they came from the Pacific Coast, Washington, Oregon, and California. But we had, makes sense. We had, uh, we had a respondent from Auckland City, New Zealand, from Toronto, Canada. Uh, let's see, the Southeast, Louisiana, Arkansas, Mississippi. So again, we actually had a pr much better respondents from across the United States and elsewhere than I thought we were going to get. We want more. So. I think that we'll go right into the survey now um, and yeah. start by looking at the very first question. Let's do it. What do you think is the largest challenge faced by your generation today? Anna, we got some very definite responses back to this question. Uh, what do you see when you took a look, take a look at the survey results? So some of the options here, I'll just, I'll just go with the top biggest ones, not the ones that got like one vote apiece because... Well, they got one vote apiece. So we had cancel culture slash political correctness. We had climate change, debt, including student loans, uh, drugs and alcohol, education and sustainable jobs, uh, entitlement, the guns, a.k.a. the Second Amendment rights, lack of knowledge about how systems actually work. So that's like, how does the post office work? How does banking work? What the hell is a 401k? You know, things like that. That was real. Uh, that felt to me like I see that theme consistently throughout all the entire survey. Yeah. Lack of knowledge. Yeah. Um, and then mental and physical health care. Uh, older generations. No, wait for it. Younger generations. These are both two different things you could vote for for being the problem. Uh, social media and simplistic two dimensional relationship with technology. We have traditional policing. And then I'm going to end with white supremacy. Um, and white supremacy had parentheses goes othering in all of its implicit and explicit forms, including racism, misogyny, religion, immigrants, all of these good things, because all of these things fall under the umbrella of white supremacy. So I just wanted to give that little disclaimer right there, explain to everyone what we're talking about here. And so with that context, climate change and white supremacy easily, by far, they both had a large a large lead on the others in terms of how many of our responders were concerned about these things as being the biggest challenge faced by their respective generations. And the reason uh, white supremacy is the, the reason choosing of that was so significant to me starts with the fact that we did have a pool that had, you know, we had a lot of, we had multiple different races contributing to the survey. And so it's significant to me that when you have a number of white respondents, that a number of them would acknowledge the danger in white supremacy. That's actually a positive. To me, that's a net positive. Obviously, it's a skewed sample. As mom said, this is not a scientific sampling by any stretch. Um, but even with that in mind, I, I did find that one thing heartening. And it's interesting to me also that climate change and white supremacy came out on on top, I don't like phrasing it like that, but it's what happened in this survey, is because they actually go hand in hand with one another. Um, I think if you look at the climate crisis and anyone to anyone listening, I'm not a scientist. I am an 
concerned citizen of the world. So if I make any scientific errors, please forgive me. Let us know. But, you know, remember, I never claimed I was a scientist. So but basically, if you look at the microcosm of human existence and if you put the whole timeline, at least the recorded timeline, right, because that's really all we can go off of is recorded human history. If you look at when the when climate change really ramped up and became what it is today, it lines up pretty perfectly with when capitalism was invented, specifically industrialization. So, and in that past, in the last like 200 years, the damage that we, and when I say we, I primarily mean the Western world, but really it's any and anyone that's been industrialized and follows the tenets of capitalism. We have managed to destroy the atmosphere and the climate as we know it in such a short window of time, not just in terms of human existence, but in terms of global existence and everything. Yeah. We have managed to come up and take something that was, you know, maybe had its issues, but was very much livable, you know, the earth as we knew it. And instead of what we have now is we have, you know, the ocean was on fire a couple of weeks ago. And half of California is on fire now. And the Pacific Northwest is experiencing these insane heat waves that they don't have the infrastructure for. And oh, yeah, Texas froze in February. Oh, and New England is experiencing a hurricane today that they haven't had in 30 years. So there's a compendium of things. And and in case any of our listeners aren't sure why the industrialization and I agree with you, Anna, that really was the beginning of the cataclysmic uh, weather patterns that we see today. Mm-hmm. It's because of the energy sources that industrialists used in the beginning. So if you think about those old pictures that you see of Detroit back in the early 1900s or any of the industrial cities back east, you could barely see uh, England, right? Yeah, I think, I think about London. London, think- you couldn't see anything. You couldn't barely see a few yards in front of your face because of the smog, because of the uh, crap that came out of this large smokestack. So while that created a great deal of wealth for a lot of individuals, um, it also brought a lot of people off the farms and into the cities for jobs that were consistent. So in other words, people felt that if I move to the city and I get a job that I can work at every day, then perhaps I will have a little bit better life. So I agree with you, it was industrializations, it's the use of coal and oil in order to fire up our furnaces and our, our factories that really was the beginning. And where we still are, coal is still a huge source of energy in China, for example. It has really fallen over the last, four, the use of coal has really fallen in the United States over the last, even the last four years. So anyway, um, we don't want to belabor that. We're going to go on to other sections, but there's no question in my mind either that capitalism is very much related to climate change and will continue to be uh, related to climate change. We need our corporations to really do a fast reverse uh, on what they're, on how they're uh, using energy right now and what kind of energy sources they have and taking energy uh natural gas and oil out of the earth. So, and I just want to acknowledge that somebody here uh, was very passionate. I think it was probably the same person who put in a whole lot of uh, other comments that I, I think it's worth just at least noting on because I think that there's no sense, no, I think that her or his 
uh, comments are really reflected throughout the rest of the survey. Um, there's an entitlement belief that one is deserving of or entitled to certain privileges, right? There's a sense of isolation. Uh, lack of purpose, growing disparity between the haves and the have-nots, affordable retirement, systemic unsustainability. So somebody is very concerned. I, I think it's probably the same person who really weighed in on this and is very, very concerned and I think reflects a lot of the um, anxiety that many of the survey takers felt. Capitalism does not exist in a vacuum and it will be almost impossible for us to divest ourselves of it in a meaningful fashion unless we also do so with white supremacy, which is its grandparent. So would you agree with that, Anna? Do you think that that is really the largest challenge faced by our genera your generation today? White supremacy? Well, I don't know about the right answer, but it, that would be my answer, yes, because I believe that climate change is actually just an offshoot of it. And I've really kind of switched. I don't think that my answer is any of the ones here. I think that the biggest problem facing my generation today is the lack of trust and trustworthiness that other generations are experiencing with us. Since we hold our, you know, boomers hold out most of the levers of power right now, it's a really problematic that um, younger generations do not seem to trust us or find us trustworthy. How do you, we asked our audience, solve these problems today? Anna, what are you seeing in this graph? So the winner, the easy winner, 28.2% of respondents said mutual aid. In organization theory, mutual aid is a voluntary reciprocal exchange of resources and services for mutual benefit, which is a very, very proper way of basically just saying it's people helping people out in an organized manner. Um, and so that was easily the top respondent. And so mutual aid can mean, I think to people, it means things like donating to people's GoFundMes. It means things like sending your friend who's having trouble making rent that month an extra little extra to cover, even if you don't really have a little extra because, you know, they will do the same for you when it's your turn to struggle. Um, it things of that. There's a community fridge out near my apartment. I see people pull up in their cars and put food in the fridge all the time. And I, I see other people come up and they sit out there and they'll have a meal and then they'll go about their day. And it's really not. And that's a wonderful form of community aid. Things like community gardens can fall under mutual aid. Um, so there's a lot that you can that that can mean. So it's really nice to me to see people utilizing that method of doing something because otherwise it can feel. And I know the Gen Z is huge with mutual aid. So this is something that they are very much um that as a generation, a lot of them seem to be very geared towards. Now, we had some other large groups that responded with uh, a lot of people, 15% said they just re they do research or they call someone that they think might know more about the issue than them. Like how, like for me, that's me calling you, for example. Right. <laughs> if I would call you because I'm like, I don't know how to do this thing. Hmm. Let me call my mom. 17.9% said, I look for other people in my physical community that want to organize around the problem. And that would be things like going to neighborhood council meetings. Yeah. And looking just for, I hesitate to plug next door because, as we all know, it's a rather unsafe place, a rather, rather unhinged place from time it to time. It can be. It can't, but places like next door might be places where you could look to see if anyone in your neighborhood is doing something or maybe putting up flyers around the neighborhood, you know, all of the ways that you might look for f people in your physical vicinity. 
Um, so and we did have, you know, some of the more the more hopeless about 10, 10.3% voted. I can't do anything about this problem. So I distract myself with productivity and whatnot, which honestly is completely understandable because it's not that individuals can't do anything. It's that it can feel almost impossible to know even where to start. So even if you want to do something, which I think most people probably do, some of us are struggling hard enough just to get by in our day-to-day lives. (laughs) Let alone trying to figure out how to save the world. Let alone trying to become a superhero and save the world. What we want to remind our listeners is it it, it isn't a choice between just work, you know, just doing your own thing or saving the world. It's about doing something in your own community that can make an impact, that can change the lives for someone, uh, for people around you. For example, I learned uh, a really interesting new um, term this week called the Ubuntu philosophy from someone I just met, Michelle Davidoff, um, uh, who used to be uh, the chief infrastructure officer for the California State University system. And it's worth bringing this up because I really truly believe in the interconnectedness of all things and why it's very important for people to become engaged. And in the Ubuntu philosophy, which is from a uh, tribe from Africa, that picture, I mean, it really tugged at my heartstrings because it means I am because we are or I am because you are. In other words, it's an acknowledgement that without you, I am not, right? That we cannot exist without each other. And so I love the fact that so many of our respondents said, I really, really want to engage um, with community. I also remember their, uh, the, ability, the, the response of some people to the previous question where they said, I, I don't know where to start. I don't have any information on how systems work. On that same track. So our government is supposed to be helpful, right? Just as a general rule, the idea is they're supposed to be helpful. And this is a message directly to any anyone who works for local, state or federal, because we were not specific government here. In terms of just a a quick temperature check for how the whole public trust thing is going, we had one of the possible options for how do you solve these problems now was I get in contact with my government representative. One person of our respondents selected that option. Only one person thought it made sense to start with the government. So... And you know what? Having dealt with the local government, I can't fault them for it doesn't really matter where in the country they live. Generally speaking, this is a fair way to feel. Just as a former government uh, employee, it just breaks my heart that people feel intimidated by about getting into the process. And I also understand it. Yeah, because, yeah, it's it's sometimes it can range from feeling overwhelmed because you don't know what to do and feeling outright like, that is not a safe city hall is not a safe place for me to go. If our listeners are more empowered to understand how to go about it, perhaps they can respond as this one person did. I work within federal, state, local agencies and public private partnerships to address these complex problems. No one approach or priority will solve these challenges. And that is the the key here. No one approach. So Mm -hmm. this person obviously has figured out how to work, right? And they've been doing it for probably some time, but no one approach will work. So I really want to focus now on the, on those four that said, I generally don't do anything. You know, it's just that feeling of hopelessness. Let's talk about that. And Anna, could you read that? There's four responses. And I think that let's, let's respond to those because I think these ones are really important. So the first person said, 
They don't do anything because they don't feel like they have a voice or the ability to make a difference. Um, and I'm just going to kind of run through all four of them at first, then we can talk about them. The second person said, I'm too old to initiate meaningful change. The third person said, busy, busy, busy with raising kids and working hard to be able to afford to live here. Now, I don't know where this respondent lives, but if it's L.A. or the Bay Area, I understand completely. For the previous question, and the last, the last one said, for the previous question, I chose that I turn to the group chat to find community. I usually do this when I have questions about something or I feel I'm not sure about something. And so I think it's very interesting because these are the four responses we got and they're all very different from one another. Yes, they are. So feeling like I have a voice or ability to make a difference, I think that one is pretty selfish. That's what we're talking about. That one, we don't really need to spend much time going over that one because we all get that. Um, but the next one, I am too old to initiate meaningful change. This one is so interesting to me because, so I'm 30 years old. One of the things that I've observed as I le- went through and left my 20s and this will not be a surprise to anyone still in their 20s to hear, um, the fetishization of youth in our culture has gotten to such extremes. And it's, this is not a brand new problem. This has been a thing for decades, but it has absolutely ramped up, I think, probably as a result of uh, social media and how easy it is now to compare yourself to everybody around you, even though what you're comparing yourself to is just a version of someone's life and by no means actually representative of its reality. But I think that's what has contributed to this problem getting worse. But what we basically have here is young people more and more feel like there is sort of a, like a hourglass of sand with sand grain stripping through it on what, how much of their life is valuable and that they have a very finite number of years where which they have to become somebody and they have to figure it all out and they have to have achieved and they have to, otherwise they're not relevant anymore. Otherwise it's too late. You're old, you're washed. And you see it now, frankly, some of the younger folks, right? They are vicious with taunting um, people that are in their thirties and forties about how old they are and about how washed they are and about how it's done now. And I think that's because the insecurity, you tend to want to pay it forward. These kids are anxious because they're like, crap, I'm going to turn 25 or I'm going to turn 21 in some cases, or I'm going to be too old soon. And so I don't know how old the person was that gave this answer. They could have, it could have been that they are from silent generation or a boomer. And so they're legitimately older and starting to feel um, anxiety about that, which is also understandable. But Anna, this is very personal, right, for you as well. I mean, you literally went through this when you were 23 years old. I remember this, you sitting on the couch crying because life had passed you by. It was too late to realize your dreams. And I was just looking at you stunned. You were 23 years old. How do you feel now? I, I won't bore everyone with the details of why the 23, why that happened when I was 23. But long story short, there was uh, trauma and post-traumatic stress disorder involved. But even without those things, the anxiety, the existential anxiety about feeling like you're running out of time was omnipresent even before the events that led to that breakdown. And yeah, I remember I was 20. I think I just turned 23, maybe. And I remember that day vividly. And I what I remember more is that I meant every single word. I could hear it. I believed I genuinely believed that. Well, because I mean, I had just graduated from college where they had been telling me the whole time, basically, you know, if you're a woman and you want to be in a performer, you stop telling people how old you are once you're past 23 because you're too old now. And it's 
and you internalize like you can you can you can be as self-possessed and you know as confident as you want to be heading into a situation like that but if you have every single adult and every single romantic interest and every single teacher and these are people that you're supposed to be looking up to people that you're supposed to be putting your faith in sometimes paying thousands of dollars for the privilege of being spoken to by in the case of my teachers and advisors and but you can only stay stay confident for so long when you keep being told you shouldn't be over and over again. And it broke and, my heart. I mean, it and, broke my heart because I didn't know how to respond to you. I'm like, tw- you're 23 years old. Yeah. I'm 20. How old? I was 33 years older. I'm 33 years older than you. How could you possibly say to me that your life is over? And so yeah. this is why this importance of this intergenerational conversations, we need to know what you guys are feeling because we're not going to be able to gain your trust and become that trustworthy, uh, those trustworthy folks that you turn to if we can't, if, if you're feeling hopeless because time has run out for you and you're, you're still only just basically young adults. And so to that point, what I want to say, I guess this is mostly to Gen Z, because I'm on the younger side of the millennials. So most of us were already heading into our 30s. And um, so what I want to say to you know Gen Z and anyone else young listening, because I don't think the gen after them is old enough to be listening to podcasts, but just in case, you are so young. Your life, and I'm not saying this is not meant in a condescending manner because everything that you believe, think, and feel right now is valid, real, and it's it's legit. That is what you are experiencing. Never let anyone tell you that because you're young, you can't have your own beliefs, thoughts, feelings. What I'm saying to you is the clock doesn't stop ticking at 30. Not even close. There are certain things like, yeah, I can't go on a bender and then go to work the next day. Those days are done. My hip hurts more than it did when I was 20. You know, things like that. There are certain things that slow down. I found a gray hair. That was exciting. But when you, if you put past the superficial crap that you're going to start figuring out does not matter the way it feels like it matters now, not to say what you care about is not important. Just I promise what you care about will shift. That's what it is. And I just want you to, you're not out of time not even freaking close. You're, it's like you get a second lease on life at 30. So hang the hell in there. And anyone who starts to tell you that you are old, just revel in it. Because all that means is you no longer have to care if you're the cutest one in the room at brunch. And you can just focus on how awesome your mimosa and fried potatoes are. Honestly, that's one of the best things. One of the best things about aging is I don't have to worry about all that stuff. So. And you can still find joy in all of that stuff. But you don't, it doesn't feel like it's this existential, I have to do this, otherwise no one will ever care about me again thing. It becomes something that you do more for fun. And obviously I'm painting with a very broad brush here. So anyone whose experience didn't line up with that, I'm so sorry. Feel free to come on our social medias and tell me how wrong I am. What role should your city play in helping to solve the largest challenges of your generation? About 43% of the answers were really about the city taking charge, providing leadership, convening the community, listening. One response was, honestly, they should be the most involved. 
And well put. Exactly. So lead by example, create programs that are innovative and evolve as needed. Engage the community in this work. Don't just assume top down knows how to do it, but actually engage with people who live in, in the community and especially those who have lived there for quite some time. So that was a huge response to what is the city's role? What we see very clearly in that cities should be leaders in their community for the good of the people. I see a lot of work, uh, a lot of terms around equity being thrown in there, convening leadership. It looks like people think cities should be very, very engaged. That's for what all I'm of the, saying. Yep. For all the talk that we hear about, because you know, mostly when people talk about big or small government, they're talking about federal those same rules, those same sticking points don't really apply in the same way with local governments, which is really what we're getting. We're looking at local and state governments with this stuff in terms of community building. And people want their local government to be freaking helpful. Right. Exactly. People want their local government to be engaged, to be not necessarily all in their business all the time. But if it means being in their business a little bit in order to actually get something done, it sounds to me like most people would be willing to to play ball right. with the city on that. Right, because it's but local, the city is, right? Yeah, the, but the city, so this really is smart city diaries. We are about cities here right. because that is really where we're going to see any kind of meaningful day-to-day change for citizens. And it seems like citizens know that. Exactly, and, and citizens also have a, an idea, and our respondents actually had an idea of what cities should be doing and how they should yeah. be taking the leadership. If you take a look they at- They had the, some specific ideas. Specific ideas. So so 20% said they wanted the government to create effective legislation and budgets that solve problems. So put forward legislation and distribute funds toward the right causes is one response. Uh, um, Somebody said, hey, retirement benefits. Cities are really financially burdened by that. They need to be more bureaucratic and uh, less bureaucratic and more innovative. Change archaic laws and practices. Um, efficiently spend money on infrastructure that provides most value per dollar. So the people really f- understand that cities do have some control over the infrastructure, the roads. In other words, the everyday experience that you have running around in your city. Well, I like this one. Make decisions, law, policy, other, based on long-term impacts rather than short-term pandering. That is kind of Mm. tough, right? When you have city leaders who are elected for four-year terms, sometimes two-year terms. And as long as lobbying is allowed. So about 13 or 12 percent of our survey takers uh, wanted to ensure equitable access to all city services and anticipate community needs. And again, these are things that they that people think cities sh- should be providing or may already be doing. They see the city as a teacher. The c- city should create a little crash course on what taxes is and credit and just how to uh, how to live life to younger adults. This definitely um, reflects what we heard earlier, where people feel like they don't understand systems, right? They just don't understand how the systems, and they would like the city to teach them about these systems. Cities should be creating connections with nature and doing more local resiliency work. They should be removing corruption from politics. And one person actually was brave enough to say, one person, 
I should be taking strides in learning more about these issues and learning what I can do to support the side I believe in or think is just. People Nailed see it. cities as being the ones that have the most immediate impact on their lives, right? Yeah, and as someone else said, it's because they're literally close. Someone said cities should do all this because they're closest to us. They're closest to they're us. They're right. Right. So so we're, we're going to ignore the idea of resources right now for cities, but it seems that cities have a lot of responsibility. And this is why when people talk about enacting legislation in Washington, D.C., it matters when it impacts locally. That's when it matters. So the next question that he has, what, what does the term smart city mean to you? So that, you know, as could be expected, um, a lot of the 42% of the folks talked about tech and innovation. So incorporating technology to help people, communities and business sounds like a really high tech city that is a product of surveillance capitalism was an yeah. interesting response. And uh -huh. um, yeah, uh, a smart city. Points were made. Right. So there's a lot of things around technology. We don't, that's not surprising. We don't have to go into the details of that. Although I do appreciate the many people who said, hey, it's not just about technology, it's about using technology to solve social challenges, right? So then the next one was uh, just in terms of what does a smart city mean? It's about system equity and resilience. So infrastructure works as intended. One of my favorites was a city that's progressive keeps up with the times in both technology and human life. Being able to think critically about the impact of technology and changes that are made and making sure that they aren't just doing things to be using the latest technology or performative activism, right? So a city that is doing things for a purpose, that's looking forward into the future, that's using technology, just not, not just because it's cool, but because it actually solves problems. One of my favorite responses here, it says, a city that leverages the power of the people and the power of innovation in tech to create a city structure that is supportive of its citizens, mitigates risks, and enhances the lived experience. So when I say supportive of its citizens, I'm assuming this is a city that's engaged. And what we yeah. really want to make sure that through this podcast is, is helping you, our listener, figure out how you can engage in your city um, to make sure that the city is, is moving in a direction that makes sense given the existential crises that are around us, given the, the, your own goals, given the goals of the community around you, to make sure that, that you're living in a city that you feel like you're really a part of. And that's really the point of the podcast, because it's really clear that from the survey, there's really a lot of questions about how everything works. How do things work? How, how are ecosystems connected? How am I connected to the natural world? How am I connected to my government? How am I connected to my bank? How am I connected to my government through paying taxes? What is all of this about? How does it work? What about lobbyists? How do they impact my city council? We want to bring you through these systems and to connect to you in a way that says smart is not just about technology, but boy, technology can really, really help improve the connection of your government, of your city, of your leadership to um, the community members themselves and for community members to live their fullest and best lives. 
We're going to continue uh, focusing on the results of this survey and to create new surveys. Do we want to make sure that we're not just capturing information from here in the United States or the West Coast, but we really would love to see what challenges, how people around the world are uh, facing, what those challenges are that generations have identified for themselves. While we're going to see similarities, there's going to be some differences too. So with all that being said, uh, head over to smartcitydiaries.com after you listen to this, and there will be under the episodes, click on this episode, and we are going to have a link to our current survey. If you would like to do us a favor and fill it out, that would be amazing. If you would not like to do that, maybe consider doing it anyway as a personal favor to me. If you feel like you learned anything from this survey today, even if it was just more things that you're not interested in, we might find something you're interested in next time. So don't give up on us. Head on over to our social media and talk to us because as you can see, we want to know what people who aren't us think. That's the whole point of all of this. So hit us up on Twitter. We're on Facebook. We're on LinkedIn. If that's your cup of tea, spoiler, it's not mine. It's mine. As well as our Patreon, just come and tell us what you think. Let us know if there's a future episode. You'd like to see us talk about something specific, whether or not it's smart tech, go ahead and pitch us because you never know. I'm interested in other things. Um, And so just, yeah, let us know what you think. We really, really want this to be a conversation and not just, you know, us talking at you every other week. Because we're trying to build community here. Let's be perfectly honest. We're really trying to build community in a way that um, all of you who listen to us start to feel empowered and actually have ideas or, or actually we can help you get ideas about how you can start in your community. I've been doing community engagement and community building. Oh my gosh. 30 years, Anna, a long time, right? Starting with grassroots organizing and continuing on to to be a chief innovation officer for the city of San Leandro and everything in between. So we're going to learn together. Um, I guess I've learned that uh, I don't, I'm here to get it right, not to be right. Um, And you guys are the ones that are going to help me get it right. So until the next podcast, thank you for joining us for Smart City Diaries. Peace.